The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to be here with you on this Thursday morning, the day before Valentine's Day. So we're wrapping up a really exciting week here. And a little programming note, I want to remind all of you in case you didn't get the message that we will not be doing live shows next week. Every once in a while, we have to let our fabulous Emily Goodwin have some time off. She works harder than any 12 people that I know and so next week I will still be here and you can still message me and you can talk to me on Facebook you can talk to me you know send us an email but we are not going to be doing live shows because every once in a while we have to let Emily Goodwin have some time off so we're hoping that she has a really good time next week so this is our last show for really a week and a half but uh, it's okay because we have a really good show planned for you we're really excited about that and I want to remind you that in the next two hours we will be completely interactive that is is what we strive for every single time that we do a show. We really want to interact with you. So Emily's going to show you some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us here. And I'm going to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there are a bunch of different things that you can do on the page and we keep adding more things. You can click on our blog to go there. Uh, you can also, there's a computer screen. If you click on the little triangle that's on the computer screen, you can be watching our show live. If you happen to catch it during the two hour window that we're live, or you can watch the most recently recorded live show. You even have the ability to scroll through some of the most recent live shows there but there's more on that page as well there's a long skinny white box right if you put your cursor there you can start typing you don't have to go through a lengthy login process nobody's asking your name your address or your credit card information none of that is being asked of you all you do is put your cursor there you type you hit enter and it shows up here there is a lag minute minute and a half ish uh, but it's almost in real time which we really appreciate so we encourage you to talk to us and ask questions, give us suggestions, topics that you want to know, and ask questions of our experts and guests that we have in the studio. We've got two incredible experts that are going to be with us today um, and lots of different things that we're going to talk about because it's Feel Good February and we're trying to focus on some of the inspirational stories that are out there and we've got more and more of that that's piling in. So in any case, I hope that you'll participate. That's really what we're here for. I always remind you at the top of the show, I am not an expert in autism. As I said, we've got two incredible experts who are going to be with us today, but I'm not an expert. I'm a mom. My son was diagnosed. My son that I waited for forever was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. That wasn't what I had planned. I will just be honest with you. Um, but we are just 
so thrilled with the progress that our son has made. He is now 10 and a half. He's in a completely included fifth grade class. All kids are different. All progress is different, right? Uh, no two of our children look exactly alike in any respect. But we do know the one common thread that we all have together is that progress is available for all of our kids. No one is left out of that. It doesn't matter what age they are. I know a lot of you have been writing in this week saying, you know, I've got a child that's two or younger. Is it too early to start? And we very clearly heard Dr. Doreen Grampache yesterday say it is not too early to start, that the youngest she has ever started with is nine months old. So. You know, and it's a different program at nine months than it would be at 18 months, than it would be at three, than it would be at seven, than it would be at 12 or 44, right? But the message I want for everybody to know is that there is progress available for everyone on the autism spectrum. Everyone, regardless of age, regardless of where you live, uh, regardless of what your financial resources are, there is progress that you can make. And there are resources that are available to you. And, and really, that's what I get so excited about because I want to help you guys to get hooked up with the resources that will serve you because it isn't one size fits all, is it? And that's that's disheartening. It would be so much easier if I could just say, oh, step one is this and step three is this and step 22 is this and it's one size fits all. It just isn't. But um, you know, that's why we have as many hours as we have live on the show, because there's so many things to talk about. And I know that we could all get into that. Oh, it's just, you know, hard. It is. Don't let anybody fool you. This is not an easy journey. But there are joyous things on the journey as well. And there are ways that we can feel connected so that we don't feel alone. And I want to help you to find all of those things, because somebody helped me with all of those things. I have a huge, huge debt to pay forward. And and, uh, I'm just working it off every day. So come be here with us, participate. And if you have something to share that will help other people share that. And if you are having a bad day and you say, I just feel like there's nothing here for me, share that because I, I love to help get people on the track where they're finding the resources. It's really, uh, gratifying to me. Okay. Lots of things that you guys have been writing in on the live feature throughout the night. And I absolutely love that. I know that many of you are not able to watch the show live. You watch it in, a, in its recorded versions and you're being so good when you write something in uh, about referencing who you're talking about, who was the guest on the show that you particularly loved. I do want to say that I love this. Somebody wrote in at some point during the night. Thank you, Alex, talking about, and I don't know, actually, I don't know which Alex. It could be Alex Plank or it could be Alex Hale, who was with us yesterday. Uh, they wrote, thank you, Alex, for giving me hope for my main streamed 11-year-old son in Franklin County, Ohio. Both of those young men, both Alex's, one we had on Tuesday, one we had yesterday, inspirational young men. Um, but uh, I, I appreciate you writing that in. I'll, I'll tell both Alex's that you said that. Okay. Uh, and, and I love somebody wrote to me and said, thanks, Shannon. Listening to you is like talking to one of my best girlfriends. I love that because, you know, I feel so connected to all of you. I feel like you're all part of my circle. It's really, really fun. Okay. Got more questions and I'm going to save some of those for the experts coming in. But you know, I like to start every morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. Now, I can't believe this is true, but I'm told that this jargon term that we're going to use today, we have never actually defined it before on the show. So it's 
very exciting. We're unveiling new jargon today. Uh, and yet I say this all the time. And this for me, this is the quintessential jargon term because I remember hearing somebody say this term and me, you know, doing the eyebrow thing going, who are they talking to? Who do they think they're talking to? Who uses these terms in real life? Like, it's just crazy that you're using this term, right? And then I, I now use this term in real life. <laughs> I say this word and I love this word um, because it, it's exactly why we use jargon because once you understand what it means, it is so specific that no other term matches this and you will start using this term. What am I talking about? Perseveration. I know, right? You go, oh, come on. I'm never going to use that in a sentence without making fun of somebody. And yet, I bet you, I bet you, you will. Okay, so what is it? What is perseveration? Uh, our actual deficit, uh, definition is perseveration. It's a failure of the brain to switch ideas along with the social context, often resulting in a pathological and persistent repetition of words or gestures after they have ceased to be socially relevant or appropriate. Okay. I hate that definition <laughs> because you go, huh? What? Uh, and I'll say our working definition isn't a whole lot better, but we're going to talk about it. Okay. Working definition, uh, perseveration is the functionless repetition of a behavior or a response, such as repeating a word or a phrase or making a gesture when it's no longer appropriate. Okay. So when, because I used to say that my son was obsessing on something. I would say that he was obsessing on the vacuum cleaner or he was obsessing on drains. He, if we went for a walk around the block, there would be drains set into the street and set into the lawn in certain places. And if you came across a drain, that was it. He was lost. He was done. He was going to obsess on the drain and go and stand there and look down it. Um, and, you know, saying that he upset, we all understand. He's obsessing on it. He won't leave it alone. Uh, and I, I'm not a psychologist, as I said at the beginning, I'm not an expert, but I've come to understand that when we obsess about something, it is my understanding is that it's more internal, right? If, if I'm obsessing on something that I said to somebody, it's, you know, it's just overriding in my head. I'm thinking about it, but outwardly, uh, I might seem distracted, but I'm not impinging on what you're doing. I'm not saying the same word or making the same gesture over and over and again, where perseveration is more, uh, manifests itself on the outside. So when our kids do, um, if they see a movie and there's a phrase in the movie and they might shout it out in the movie and it's socially, you know, it's not the best thing to shout out in a movie, but it's not completely without social context, right? But when the child then is someplace and it's not appropriate, the movie is not playing, nobody understands what the social context of it is, and the child starts yelling out that same uh, thing from the movie. And sometimes our kids will say it over and over and over again, that's perseveration, right? And when my son, if I took out the vacuum cleaner, right, it's appropriate for a child to notice the vacuum cleaner. And it's even, for a young child, it's appropriate to wanna to play with all the attachments from the vacuum cleaner, right? 
right? But it's not appropriate if the child then can't put that down and can't go to something else. And, and even after you've put the vacuum cleaner away is like doing the vacuuming motions and can't stop it and do something else. That's really when we're talking about perseveration. Um, it's not, it doesn't have a function. Um, there's, there's nothing about the function that's socially appropriate. Let's say that there is a function for the child on some level. They are finding it, um, rewarding on some level, but there's no social function for it. It's not part of a conversation. Um, it's not helping them to accomplish anything, but they, it's almost like the record. You remember, oh, now I've dated myself. Uh, you know, old fashioned record players and you put the record on and it might get stuck in one groove and then it just says the same thing over and over again. That's what it's like. And the brain just won't let it go. And when our kids truly perseverate on something, it it can be so frustrating as a parent. I know you guys know this where you just go, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Um, you know, the kids who will uh, open and close a door or uh, one mom that we had on the show, Laura Mariquin, who, if you, if you haven't seen her story, make sure that you go to Mission, Impo Mission Possible, not Mission Impossible, J Jason Mariquin, same age as my son, fully, fully recovered from autism and but when he was little she tells the story of how whenever they would go someplace she any office building or if they would go to a hotel they would try to find a way to not take the elevator because he would perseverate on the doors and he would need to see them open and close and forget it as soon as he saw that everything else was gone he could not get in the elevator he could or he could not get off the elevator because he would need to see the doors open and close and that he could just for hours on end open and close a door in their house um he is as typical as can be like watch the video so that you can see jason mariquin because you would never know that as a little boy he could get stuck like that he is just so typical um, that he, he amazes me. Uh, so perseveration, and you will find now that you kind of get what it means. You'll see your child do something and you'll go, that's exactly what that is. I, I see it exactly now. And it's just that much different than obsessing on something. And then you'll use it in the sentence and you'll go, oh, I have officially turned to the dark side of jargon. <laughs> but it it really is one of those terms that just hits the nail right on the head. Okay, so that's our term for today. Why would that be our term for today? It'll all become clear later on. Uh, okay, so we always have a question of the day for you. Uh, and here, this, this should help you. Our question today is what's the difference between loving something and obsessing over it? You know, we were talking with Alex Plank a little bit on Tuesday about what's the difference between having a crush or uh, being a little bit obsessed with somebody and being in love with them. Uh, and for our kids, you know, it can be really hard because you look at some things that our kids will perseverate on or obsess on. And we know that we're looking for finding the strengths for our children, but what's healthy and what isn't healthy, where, where is that line? What things should we encourage? What things shouldn't we encourage? Um, you know, because we could easily, there are neurotypical three-year-olds who are obsessed with Buzz Lightyear, just obsessed with Buzz, Buzz Lightyear. And in a neurotypical family, they don't get all concerned or worried about it, right? 
sometimes our kids on the autism spectrum, it's appropriate for us to get concerned about things that our kids cannot disengage from, right? Um, and for that neurotypical three-year-old who's obsessed with Buzz Lightyear, because we think of that as we, they just love Buzz Lightyear, and we think nothing of decorating their whole room in Buzz Lightyear things, because that's, you know, giving the child what they love, and it's very reinforcing, right? But we know, we have this just innate understanding that at some point this, he may still love Buzz Lightyear at age seven, but he won't be stuck on it the same way that he is. We don't always know that with our kids with autism, and I think sometimes it makes it dicey for us. Um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, encourage some of these things, right? Because when I think about Temple Grandin, her mother encouraged some of the things that she was really uh, perseverating on, and it led to her having a blooming career. So what's the line. What's the difference between loving something and obsessing over it? And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that all day today. We always have a topic of the week, and our topic this week in honor of Valentine's Day is love. And we're talking about love in all the different ways that love presents itself. Love that we have for our children, romantic love that we hope that every person on the autism spectrum has the ability to feel requited romantic love and how we get them ready to be able to do that. Love for things. We had Alex Plank tell us the other day about what are the things that he finds really reinforcing. What are the things that we love and are we spending time with the people that we love and doing the things that we love while while we're on this journey through autism, because sometimes it can feel like it, it just becomes the all autism all the time show, <laughs> right? I know it's a little ironic because that's kind of what this show is, but we have to have fun with it. We have to be able to have fun and enjoy our lives too. I always love Dr. Tarbox is going to be with us in a little while. And I'm always talking to him about, you know, I'm going to do this with Jem and we just started this and this is working out and whatever. And you know what he always says to me? Uh, he always says, are you remembering to have fun? He always says that to me and I go, oh, right, right. The fun thing. Yes, yes, we need to do that uh, because it's important. It's important. And we know we're going to be more successful if we include fun in it, right? If we're enjoying things and loving things and loving our kids, we're going to get further. We just will and we'll be happier and we might even live longer if, if the studies they say are correct about stress and all those things. So love in all the different ways that we can talk about love. That's what we're talking about today. And our guests, I've already given away some of it, but uh, some of the things that we have planned to talk about today, of course, we will have Dr. Adele Nadalski with us for Real Progress with Dr. Adele, and we're going to be talking about how we get our kids interested in more than one thing. Sometimes when we're looking for what's reinforcing for our children, they might be interested in one particular thing, and we want to utilize that, right? But how, while we're utilizing that, how do we build the field so that our kids are interested in more than just one thing? How do we get them to like and maybe even potentially love something that they don't right now? So we're going to talk about that with Dr. Adele and other things. We are going to talk a little bit about love and autism. And uh, in the second hour, we will be joined again by Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. And I've specifically asked him to talk a little bit about those teen years and what are the social skills that we can be working on with teens and what does research show for teens with social skills, helping them to get... Teen years are hard for everyone, right? Doesn't matter on the spectrum, off the spectrum, it's a really difficult time. Their bodies are changing, the chemistry of their brains are changing, the things that they're interested in will change. And how can we help facilitate our teens so that that's not 
any more difficult than it already has to be, right? How can we set them up for success? Because we love them, right? All right, so all of that and ever so much more, including some of your questions that you guys have written in. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Smarty. It's February and for this month we have made a template for you. You can find it on facebook.com slash autism live and this activity works on your child's pincer grasp. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are scissors, a hole puncher, a glue stick, shoelace, cardstock, and our template that you can print from facebook.com slash autism live. First, I'm going to take my template and glue it to cardstock. And the reason I'm using a glue stick is so that it doesn't ripple, because if you use the wet glue, it's going to make it all lumpy. Once I have my template glued to my cardstock, I'm going to take my scissors and cut out the heart. Now that I have my heart cut out, I'm going to cut out the holes with the hole puncher. This is where your child's going to take their shoelace and start threading through it. Now that I have put all the hole punches through the template, now I'm gonna get my kiddo to come over and take the shoelace and start sewing the outside of the heart. Shoelaces are great because they have the tip already making it easier for the child to thread it through the holes and they come in great different colors and patterns. As you can see, we found some really festive hearts. Here's my completed Valentine. Now it makes sense, right? I love you so very much. <laughs> as you can see, the child has a lot of opportunity to work on their pincer grass and find mold as they sew around the heart. I hope you enjoyed doing this with your child. Until next time, craft on guys. Bye. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. You guys are writing in some awesome questions and I want to take a couple of seconds to talk. Somebody wrote in and they said not to be a Debbie Downer. Hey, we don't believe in that here. There are aspects of autism that are tough and everybody is entitled. You know, sometime, somebody wrote in yesterday and said, Shannon, we appreciate that you're always so positive. And I said, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that it seems that way. I'm not always. Uh, and you have to give yourself the time and the space to have a bad day from time to time, right? So don't apologize, and it's not you being a Debbie Downer, because uh, they go on to write, uh, not to be a Debbie Downer, but have you guys had an IEP week recently? We're in that season. Season Also transition to adulthood. We did just do a bunch of things on adulthood, um, but we're always working on that transition. We're even going to be talking about that with Dr. Tarbox, how we do that in the teen years to get ready socially. Um, we do have an IEP week coming up. I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but we do have an IEP week coming up because you're right, it is the season. And that's not a Debbie Downer at all because IEP season, it, you know, it has the potential to be very stressful, but it also has the potential to be really amazing and for us to make big leaps, both with the relationships with our schools, with the training with our schools, and ultimately with the kind of year that our children will have educationally next year. So nothing to Downer about that. And I love uh, the reminder of it, but we do have one coming up and I'll check to see if I can see on the schedule when that is. Um, 
Okay, and then somebody else had written the other day about the handwriting thing. Uh, they said, when Shannon talked about handwriting, my son struggled with it. Had the OT teach using the program Handwriting Without Tears, then cursive. He did not want to write like a baby. OT took two years. Assistive technology rehab engineer evaluated for specialized computer software 2014. He uses, excuse me, he uses literacy suite of software to do his college work. Skills proficient suite of software. Very happy ending. Love, love, love that. And um, and I, and I want to say that uh, my son did handwriting without tears, and I can tell you there were no tears. <laughs> there were no tears. We did it from kindergarten, actually preschool. They started with handwriting without tears, and he did it in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, whatever. But as I mentioned, and I think it's a great program, a great, great, great program. Unfortunately, my son had an eye issue that he wasn't excelling in it. And we didn't catch it until late, and they were already on to cursive. He writes beautifully with cursive. Um, but we really have been in this place about trying to figure out whether we wanted to go back and do the printing and work on it or just let it go and just have him be on the computer. And I had made the decision uh, that we were just going to let it go. And then I realized how bad it was. And then a therapist that I trust ultimately uh, kicked me in the butt and said, excuse me. Uh, I think you need to go back. So we have gone back. And I just want to say it's been a rough couple of weeks. It's been a rough couple of weeks. It has not been his favorite thing. And my husband and I sat on the couch last night and had this discussion. And I said, he is going to push because this is a change in his routine. And he doesn't want to have to do this. And it, it does feel like baby to him. And he's not interested in it. It's not an area, you know, we're trying to make it really reinforcing for him to be able to do it. But he's still, he's still testing to see, can I do it halfway, which was not the term I used last night with my husband. Can I, you know, you know can I just phone it in? Can I do it halfway? Uh, do I really have to take the time to do this and coordinate and do it exactly right? Or is there a way that I can push all of their buttons uh, and then they'll let me out of it, right? And, uh, you know, so my husband and I are trying to hold the line and, and support each other and tag team in and out and not give up. And there has been tremendous progress in just two weeks. Tremendous, tremendous progress. I have wanted to light my hair on fire at least 20 times. I have threatened to run away from home. I've threatened to go lay in the middle of the street, you know, to my husband. Um, you, you know, it has been really hard. But... I, I am being rewarded with the fact that I'm seeing how different it is. Um, it really is. Uh, we're making a great deal of progress. So, But I appreciate that. And I do think Handwriting Without Tears is a fabulous, fabulous program. But cautionary thing, if your child doesn't have the ocular uh, motility, as they say, there I go with jargon, ocular motility, if their eyes can't move in the way that they need to be able to move, uh, it could be the best program in the world. We had to take care of that first. And I just didn't know that when I needed to know that. So in any case, I appreciate you writing that in, though. And I love your happy ending that your son is in college and doing fabulously makes my day more than you can possibly know. Now, somebody else wrote in about, uh, they said, Shannon, I have a question for you about the new core standards curriculum for special education for our kiddos. In Ohio, they called it extended standards, and it is the core standard, but much easier objectives and fewer objectives. Did you opt to do this for Jem? My mainstream son, 11, in fourth grade, was just switched to this at our 
IEP. Thanks always for everything that you do. Um, and I appreciate you writing in. We're, we're still finding out more information about the core standards. And I don't know about at your children's school, but at my child's school, the teachers are having to go to trainings and we got a lot of subs in the classroom and it just, I gotta say, it's a little bit, you know, like really, are we that surprised that we have to do this during the school year? And I guess it's the only way they can fund it for the teachers to get the training. Um, it's not the best, I think, that we can do for our kids, but you know, maybe it's the best that they can with the circumstances that they have. In any case, um, we have not, uh, but remember that all of our kids are different, right? All of their, and that's why we, they have individualized education plans because they're all different. Jem is um, staying at the core uh, curriculum level and and we're looking to send him next year to a school where it's a little bit accelerated because he, uh, he is incredibly uh, like on it and able to attend, but if he gets bored, that's where we have the problem. So we've been having to find ways to push him. Now I will say this, as a teacher, it's really important to teach the children where they are. So if, if it's moving too fast in the core curriculum for your child, there is nothing wrong about having them have standards that are uh, pulled back a little bit. Um, but here's the dicey part of it, because you need to pull it back. If I, if somebody, I'm bad at math and if somebody said, okay, well, you know, here's the, you know, you're 51 years old and you have to know how to do trigonometry and otherwise, you know, you lose your house, right? They said, this is the way and you don't get to progress on unless you learn trigonometry. And they enrolled me in a class for trigonometry. It would be a disaster. It would be an absolute disaster because I would not be ready to do trigonometry. We would have to go back and do the very basic stuff with me. Um, and, and it would be important to, to do that. If you just stuck me in the trigonometry class and expected me to excel, I would never, ever get there. So you'd have to change the curriculum for me and put me back at the beginning. But you wouldn't just say, and that's all we're ever going to do and we're not going to, because I would never get to the trigonometry class, right? So depending on what your goals are, um, all kids, anyway, neurotypical, don't graduate and really know the same amount. I know we have these core standards and that's the idea that all kids are going to graduate and know the same stuff, but all kids don't anyway. Uh, so we need to be realistic about what our goals are. But if your goal is for your child to eventually get all of those core standards, then what you're going to have to do is say, okay, we've got the special curriculum during the school year, but during summers and breaks, we are going to really power through because the rest of those kids are at camp and they're doing arts and crafts projects, or they're sitting and playing video games, or they're outside playing. And we want to make sure that our kids get time to play and socialize and stuff too. But you're also going to extend their school year and make it your business to be catching them up to the standard every year until you get caught up. If that's your priority, it can't be everybody's priority, right? You have to look at it and say, what's, what's more important? You know, where are we in terms of social skills? What's my expectation of what my child 
will accomplish. And you're always flexible with that, right? Because our kids tell us more. I think people who look at a five-year-old or an 11-year-old and go, oh, they're never going to do this or they're never going to do that. We had Alex Hale on yesterday and he was told he was never going to be able to have a job. Nobody should ever have an, a, a, a limited expectation for any of our kids. But don't feel bad about your child being in a curriculum that's perceived as being easier. Meet your child where they are, but use all of your time to make them progress and get closer, right? That's, that's good for everyone, but be realistic and flexible with your, your expectation of where they're gonna end up because you have to be, we all have to be flexible. Our kids will reveal to us what they're capable of. I hope that answered your question. All right. Uh, we Oh, tons more questions. So thrilled about that. But it's time for us to bring Dr. Adele Nadowski in. So we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Code name's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. It's all, you're gonna be all right, man. This is just the world. You're, this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes Ooh. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Like a backup plan. Well, like well, plan B. Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid. Or <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much you can do. There is I, stuff like, you can do. I... That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role-playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role-playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom or mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right. Scream really loud. Correct. And if that doesn't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer or a fireman or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee. And then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children. 
because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid and you've quizzed them and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules. But is that enough? How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So you'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never, never practice. You never practice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me. It's not going to change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play. Like... Role play. Yeah. Your child, you're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Reinforcing. It. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now, in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in the ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. I was just Yay! So you tested it out All in child. the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, yes. we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back. I'm in mid-sentence here. But in any case, welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Dr. Adele Nadowski, and she, we call this segment Real Progress with Dr. Adele. Thank you for being here, first of all. It's always exciting. And uh, <laughs> it is. It's always exciting when you're here. We have to talk a little bit about the fact that you're one of the co-creators of Skills. We talk about Skills a lot on the show because I'm a big fan of Skills and I use Skills. And you're a remarkable professional who's been working with children on the autism spectrum, really individuals on the autism spectrum for, for many years has a wealth of knowledge. So if you have questions that you want Dr. Adele to answer, you can be writing those in on the live feature right now. But I wanted to start today, we've been talking about love all this week because it's Valentine's week, right? Fancy. Love in all, yes, fancy <laughs> schmancy. Uh, I, I want like little graphics. We have gremlin graphics, but I want little graphics of hearts to come uh, all over the screen, Emily. So, you know, hop to. <laughs> 
<laughs> She's like, what? You're crazy. In any case, it's for one day. We really don't want that. I didn't mean it. I'm not I wish serious. I would have tuned in all week. I'm, this is a very interesting topic for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is a very interesting topic. And we've been talking about it um, in all aspects of love. What we love, who we love, how we show love, what love feels like for us, for our kids, and, and everything in between, right? Yeah. And um, so I, I specifically wanted to talk with you today about we, we are always talking about how important it is to have things that are reinforcing for our kids. But it seems like sometimes our kids have a very limited pool of things that are reinforcing to them, especially when we start out with ABA. Yeah. So how do we utilize what they already find reinforcing and how do we build that repertoire? How do we get them to like things that they don't like right now so yeah. that eventually those things will be reinforcing to them too? All right. Well, a couple of things come to mind. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, if they have something that they're that they find extremely reinforcing, you can start to do variations of that. Okay. So, um, I think you mentioned to me something about a Lion King book. Yeah, I was thinking of the two extremes, and and one we had a mom who wrote into us a while ago about the fact that her son was only the only thing that he found reinforcing, very young child, but he had a Lion King book, and that was the thing he wanted. And she said, I fear that I'm using it as a reinforcer, but I'm using it as the reinforcer for everything, and isn't that going to get old? Yeah. Um, and then what am I going to do? And at some point, I'm going to need other things to be reinforcing how how do I make that work and I and you know you can fill in whatever the one thing is for your child but in this particular instance it was a Lion King book okay so of course you know Lion King there's plenty of other things out there yeah. and um, different types of uh, books maybe starting with still staying in the book category of different Lion King books and mm -hmm. then maybe moving into bringing in a Lion King puppet or whatever and they're talking mm -hmm. during the book or whatever but um, one of the things in general is if you stay in the same like genre of mm -hmm. items, you might find interest. Mm -hmm. Another is um, if you pair something that's already extremely reinforcing with something else that's kind of neutral, mm -hmm. then it can become reinforcing. Okay, so, so they're explain what that means. at the same time. Because that's that I understand what you mean, but for people at home, how do when you say something that's already reinforcing, pair it with something? Give us an example. So um, if let's say um, that. I guess we'll keep using the Lion King book. Sure. If that's really reinforcing, then um, when the Lion King book is present, then also bring in other things, and they're mm -hmm. both together at the same time. Yeah. And so you might be more accepting now of the puppet that's suddenly present that you were not interested in a minute ago because you're doing it in the context of the book that is yeah. already reinforcing. Yeah. So then pretty soon the kid's becoming interested like, ooh, what this puppet and this right. puppet will actually become reinforcing yes. by being paired with the book. It really is. Then you can like pair the puppet trick. with another character maybe let's say once the puppet is already reinforcing yeah. and it's just this whole thing that you can keep doing. So, But it doesn't have to be uh, tangible uh, things either. It could be um, pretty much for most people uh, food is reinforcing. Mm -hmm. There are kids on the spectrum who have major food selectivity, so they might not have major food reinforcers, but most people, this is a primary reinforcer, this is something that uh, we need to survive, so most uh, humans find it very reinforcing. So you could, if you had to, um, you could pair food with different things as well. And so um, just having them both presented at the same time. Um, you could also do um, what some people refer to as environmental enrichment, where you put a bunch of things that the child likes and maybe there's not a bunch but if there's a couple things they really mm -hmm. like um, have those present while you're doing other new things okay you know what I mean I do so um, you know one example was like um, if you're working on a task which I know a task is not what you're saying you want them to start to like or whatever but still this is a, gives an example but they love Kool-Aid 
there's always a cup of Kool-Aid present while you're doing that task. Like I'll do that all the time with my kids with um, things that I know are less reinforcing for them to do, like activities at home. Yeah. So for example, um, if I know for my son has to do a really difficult homework like he, yeah. something he usually cries over or whatever, I might say, so today during the homework, we're going to make it really fun, and you can have whatever Kool-Aid you want or something like that, and you can just drink it as much as you want while you're doing the homework, and so he'll just be, like, having a good time because he's getting right. to do this thing that I usually restrict his sugar intake or okay. something like that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So just dressing up the other scenarios with the things that they already really love. I, You know, I always think back to the example of when, when Jem was little, it was really important to me to read to him, and whenever when whatever happened you know we would read to him when he was little but I mean I you know he was fresh out of the womb and I would sit and read to him uh, because it was important to me and then there was a point at which he became very busy right and was not interested in sitting anywhere for more than 30 seconds and I just and it was right at the point when I really wanted him to be attending to a book um, you know it was right around when he was like two and a half and and he began to descend into autism he was very busy wa wanted to be anywhere but sitting someplace right and um, so what I did was I would get a, a, gr a green apple and I don't know why, like he couldn't even bite into a big green apple, but it was cold from the refrigerator. And I would give him the green apple every time we sat down to read books and he would hold the green apple. And he, for whatever reason, I can't explain to you why, but he loved that. And sometimes he would suck on the apple. He couldn't bite to get into it, but he would suck on the apple and we would sit and read to him. And that became such a big deal. Eventually the apple went away. My child still, you know, if a total stranger said to him, you know, I'll read this to you he'll, he'll sit down he loves to be read to just yeah. loves it yeah uh, and can attend and sit and listen while somebody reads a story forever I could drop him off at story time and leave him there and he would never go anywhere but it started with the apple yeah that was what was reinforcing to him and now he loves the book it's a great so, magic trick so you know what it really is it's it's learning how to make new things that they don't understand yet to be fun mm -hmm. because it's new and it's like I don't I'm not interested yeah and they're kind of standoffish Figuring out a way to make to introduce the new thing so that it is fun. How yeah. do you make new things fun? Well, you do it by pairing it with fun things. And so your apple is an example of that. Yeah. Um, but anytime I'm going to do something with my kids that I know is going to be something that I'm going to get a little bit of a protest over or something because it's new, I'll always just do that as an antecedent thing is I'll pair it with something that is extremely reinforcing. Okay. And a lot of times the hesitation of I don't really want to do this is completely gone because right. they get the other thing they really like. And... Then they get the exposure on the first time and go, that was really fun. Sometimes that's all it is. It's yeah. just the need to have exposure to something and then realizing it's actually pretty cool. Absolutely. So we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to ask Dr. Nadowski to apply all of these things that we just learned to older kids. Give us examples of how we do this with the teenager who only wants to sit in their room and be on the computer, and that's the only thing they're interested in, how we're going to get them to like new things in those teen and older years. So stick with us. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's intelligent preference assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it. Let's play. Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. 
Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it! Responding correctly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go! Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win! Success! Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini-game. Track your child's progress with easy-to-read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back. We are here right now with Dr. Adele Nadowski. We call this segment Real Progress with Dr. Adele. She is uh, an amazing, she's BCBA and a doctor, and she has extensive experience working with individuals on the spectrum, but she's one of the co-creators of skills. She has a wealth of knowledge, very brilliant, uh, been so helpful to me in the last few years since I have known her. When I have issues, I run to her and ask for her advice on things, uh, and she is amazing. So we're taking your questions and we're talking about how we make things reinforcing for our kids, how we get them to like things that they don't like right now. We just talked about how we do that with children that are younger. Uh, and now I want to take a second to talk about when kids are older and their interests are a little bit different. I do, the asterisk I want to put here is that sometimes if you have an older child, they might still be interested in the little kid things and maybe we'll have some time to talk about how we get more age appropriate things for them. But right now I'm really thinking about those teenagers. I hear this from everyone right now who has a teenager, whether they're on the spectrum or not, all they want to do is be on the computer. It's so reinforcing. And we can understand that, right? Yeah. I, I want to be we're on always my, on yeah. phones. I mean, you know, iPod, if iPod. I if I go someplace without my phone, my smartphone, for more than 10 minutes, I go, something's, something's wrong. It feels like... Yeah, I, I almost make a, have a panic attack if I yeah. forget my phone. And, and there are times when I make a conscious decision where I say, you know, we're not doing any phones. The phones are all off. I love that thing right now where they say if you're going to dinner with a group of friends that you put the phones in a pile and the first person who touches their phone has to pay the bill. <laughs> That's I love really good. Because, you know, we've all gotten a little bit too addicted to our technology. So we can sort of understand how it really would draw in a teenager. Yeah. If we're having a problem, you know. Well, I think that with that, um, it's coming up with rules and a household schedule and routine and not just allowing free access because then you get in the struggle of they're doing it but you don't want them to be doing it so you right. say to them why don't you do something else and then they right. don't and then you're frustrated and you're back and forth arguing with each other and everything like yeah. that so instead if you set up rules and expectations like um, you will get to have screen time I'm just gonna call it screen time because okay. it would include everything um, for um, this time period during the day or for you know this time length mm -hmm. and only after you've finished your homework and this, 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 or that, meaning they can't have it at all if they don't do the other things that are important to you. Yeah. So figuring out what else do you want your child to be doing around the house. You might have chores set up for them that they need to accomplish every day. Um, and obviously doing their homework and then maybe there's extracurricular things that they need to be working on. Some families want their kid to play an instrument or whatever it is. You yeah. know, you got to practice your stuff or whatever. And then if you finish all that, um, then you can have screen time for this length of time. 
I, I love that because this, you know, it's so reinforcing that they will do it forever and we do need to monitor it. A couple of things that we've done recently in our home, there's a free app that you can download. It's called I Run You Run and it graphs. I know you love that. It graphs uh, how they're doing on their goals. And I think you can, on the free version, you can put in six or seven goals um, and you can specify how often they have to do it. So he has to come to me uh, and he has to input the information on his iPad. He has to come to me and show me that he has done a certain number of things, a certain, he has to be at a certain percentage in order to qualify for screen time. Uh, which oh, you're doing this right now? We are doing this. We've oh. been doing this for the last couple you of weeks You know what's kind of cool about that? too is yep. that the app is on the screen it is <laughs> so it's already somewhat enjoyable to put the yep. information in as opposed to like if you had it on a chart on a wall or something like that yeah. too so he loves it he knows he's responsible for inputting information he has to come and show me and it does a percentage and it will do it on a bar graph too to show how he's doing week by week and how he's doing on an individual skill and i love that i could specify um, you know, th this particular thing needs to be done four days out of seven, and this one needs to be done seven days out of seven. And, you know, so it charts all of those things and he yeah. doesn't have to come to me and say, what do I have to do to get screen time? What do I have to do to get this? Cause that's what he does to me. And then he wears me down and I go, just go away. I'm on the phone. Go play now. Right. Yeah. Um, that I, that I say, where's your, I run, you run. When he finally, um, does everything he needs to he gets a certain amount of length of time yes. for the screen time and you know what i did because i don't know whether it was you or someone else on the show i went into the child settings the parent settings on his computer and i set windows of time so it automatically turns off and it doesn't have to be me that does it Yay. i don't have to be the bad guy That's it cool. just shuts off now sometimes he'll negotiate for me to go in and shut that off and i have done that a couple of times when it was something huge that i needed him to do that i knew was going to be difficult that i've said okay i'll give you 10 more minutes i'll go and turn it off yeah. And that's like, you know, whoa, he, he, you know, he'll work yeah. so hard for that. So the problem though becomes, okay, so let's say they do all their chores and everything they're supposed to be doing and then they get their screen time, but now they have extra time because I know it can be very motivating. Yes. And because it's so motivating, they run around and they do everything and they get it done real fast. Right. And then now they have all this extra free time is to figure out ways to fill your um, child's free time with other activities. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't have other hobbies or activities, then they're kind of just sitting around waiting and kind of nagging about when can they do their screen time. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You've hit it right on the head. So it can be helpful to come up with a schedule. Um, I know it sounds kind of rigid, but uh, we had to do one in our house because um, we were having problems even with uh, siblings fighting and different things like that because there was too much downtime for them to get into fights with each other. Okay. Too much downtime uh, just for everything that they start wrestling and going crazy because they're not doing anything else. So um, you could come up with something like from this time to that time, um, you know, after school is snack. Then we have free choice. Free choice kinds of activities are playing board games, playing this, playing that. You could make a little bank if you have to with visuals. Okay. Um, and then say it's free choice time. Pick one of these and like force them basically to choose something that they're going to do. And then um, after that, it's quiet time. And during quiet time, you read a book or you do homework. Oh, I love this. And then, <laughs> I love this. And then after that, you get a little bit of screen time or something. Okay. So. Really remarkable. Just something to think about. And yeah. We put it in place and literally it went from like kids having to stay the night in their room because they were so out of control with each other and yeah. beating each other up and fighting and everything to 
um, not only are they um, not fighting, but they're actually being genuinely nice to each other. And I, th yeah, I will say this too. I think a lot of times we go, oh, that's so much structure. But we know when we really think about it, the kids crave structure. When they can see what their time schedule is and know what's coming, they find it really, we'll see that it reduces their stress. Yeah. So don't think of it as just, you know, segmenting all their time and, you know, they don't get to be kids because uh, that's not what research has shown with any of us. We, structure, a certain amount of structure is really important for all of us, but for kids in particular, uh, it's why some kids well, can go to school and do really well and come home and they fall apart. Well, the thing is, is that um, being kids is not the same anymore these days anyways. Because no, when we were kids, we were allowed to just walk out our front door and play in the You're streets right. and not come home until it started to get dark and no one worried about us and we could have our imaginations flow and stuff. But yeah. now we have to stay inside. So we're cooped up yeah. I and mean, we can go in the backyard and stuff. But yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different. It is. And you are being a kid during your free choice. You're playing a game. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not fighting though. Exactly. <laughs> or doing these other, you know, maladaptive right. types. Boredom of is a is a terrible thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a horrible thing. Boredom it can lead to all kinds of not good things. Uh, okay. So now, can we take a second and talk about how if you've got a kid that's older who is still really into the baby toys. How concerned should we be about that? And what can we do to help our kids to be interested in more age appropriate things? Well, we have to um, maybe reinforce using okay. more age appropriate things. Again, do the pairing thing. It's kind of the same formula. You just have to plug yeah. in the different variables. It seems like basically to get someone to do something, you can either reinforce it. <laughs> so, yeah set up an expectation, you do this and then you get that. So make them play something more age appropriate and then maybe contingent on that they can get the baby thing. Right, right. Um, but what'll happen naturally probably is they're gonna develop more interests yeah. as they get more exposure to things. And this thing that wasn't something I wanted to do before is not really all that bad because I'm gonna get my baby thing in a minute. Yeah. And eventually, oh, this is actually fun. So less time maybe is devoted yeah. to the baby thing. I will you say, know? too that um, and I know that Nancy you know and I've talked about this before on the show so I don't mind sharing that you know Nancy Alspa Jackson who's here with me for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy there were a couple of things that her son was still interested in that she didn't think were appropriate age and he's about eight months older than my son and they've been playing together lately and I know she had some concern the first time that Wyatt came to our home she was like oh he's gonna want to do this and he's gonna want to do that and I said let's just see what happens and he came and he asked us, do you have, you know, X, Y, and Z? And Jem said, no, I don't, I don't have those things. And, you know, so it was okay that he asked and Jem said, no, I don't have those things. And Jem said, but let me show you this. And Jem's really into robots. So he showed Wyatt all these robots and it didn't seem like Wyatt was all that interested in that time. But Jem just kept talking about robots as Jem will do. And then, uh, <laughs> and Nancy's husband called my husband a couple of days later and he was, and and said, hey, where do I get this and so robot? Because that's all Wyatt has talked about. And we're going to the mall right now and I'm going to get him that robot because we're thrilled that he's into it. So, you know, it's so interesting how Jem uh, is re reinforcing enough for him yeah. and Jem perseverated enough on the robots that eventually Wyatt got into it. And, I, and I've seen that happen with Jem too, where a peer will like something and sometimes that's all it takes for Jem to think, oh, that kid likes that, so I like that now too. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, 
peer modeling and um, just being with someone else who enjoys doing something is big and just pure exposure and um, realizing that you don't have to have a really high expectation for them to do it for some lengthy amount of time either. Yeah. So think about um, what we've talked about before, and we call it demand fading, where we only ask them to do something for a very short period or for one little step or something yeah. like that before we say, you know, like they need to be doing, you know, this for an hour or something. That would be a little ridiculous. Right? Okay. Yes. So keep it small, keep your goals. Um, easy and successful to reach. Okay, very cool. We only have a couple of minutes, so I want to go very quickly. We had a question from a viewer that strikes really close to home for me, and I wanted to take a couple of minutes for Dr. Nadowski and I both to address it. How can I work on getting my six-year-old son diagnosed with autism involved in more of a social life when a big hindrance is my own history with severe social anxiety? Uh, and I said, you know, this really strikes close to home because I have bouts of these kinds of things myself. Sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's better. I know it would seem like I am not shy and yet I am horribly shy and have big social anxiety. Uh, so I, and I know people who know me and spend any time go, that can't possibly be true, but it is. Um, and there were, I've shared before on the show that there was a period of time after Jem had autism that I became agoraphobic and did not want to leave my home, would have a panic attack anytime I left my home. So I want you to know that I don't take that lightly what you're saying. I understand what it's like to be immobilized by fear. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what spurred me out of it was that I got cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that because my husband and I sat down and I talked about it and I said, I can't, I can't be the mom who doesn't go to her kid's high school graduation. I can't. And, and I also, the day that things turned around for me and I went, I need to get help, was when I did go someplace with my son because I overcame my thing, went someplace with my son. And my son said, can we go home? Can we go home? And I said, why? What's wrong? And he said, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying, which is something he had heard me say. Oh. And I thought, this is what I'm teaching my child. And, and it was a very bad day and there were tears about it. I get welled up thinking about it now, but I went to my husband and I said, we have to get me some help. Yeah. Um, because I can't do after everything we've been through and as much as we've helped him with autism, I can't put this on him now. Um, but I, but I could not have done it on my own. I got really okay. good cognitive behavioral therapy and that helped me. So my recommendation would be to do um, acceptance commitment therapy, there which you is go. ACT. Mm -hmm. um, it is same type of idea, mm -hmm. but a little bit different. Um, it's a behavioral approach as well. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it helps you to um, realize um, that, you know, everyone's gonna be experiencing pain of some sort. And the problem is that you want the pain to stop and because you want it to stop so badly, you actually think about it more and more. Yeah. The fear or whatever it is. Yeah. It won't go away. Because think about it. When you tell yourself, I don't want to think about elephants anymore, what's the first thing you think about? An elephant. Elephants. And you have to think about it when you say, I don't want to think about elephants. So it makes right. you think about it. So you start to get in this thing where you're like fighting with yourself basically about your fears. And because you're fighting with yourself, you create such an amount of anxiety because you want yourself to stop and you can't stop. It's not possible. Yeah. And so you get up in a frenzy and you have these panic attacks. But what it teaches you is how to learn to accept that people do fear, feel fearful in these situations and that it's going to happen. And so what you do is you come up with what are your values? And that's what you did. Yeah. You said, I have to be there for my son to be for, at his graduation. It's important for me to do this and this for him. Those are my values as a, I want to be a good mother mm -hmm. and I want to, you know, whatever they are. So think about what those values are and then think about what actions do you need to engage in to reach them? 
Yeah. And in order for you to reach that value, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z actions. And so then you just do those actions. And when you start to have your panic attacks and your fears happening, you let that happen instead of trying to make it stop. Mm -hmm. It's totally different. It's like accept accepting it. That's yeah. why they call it acceptance. It's a whole thing. And um, there's some great books you can read. Um, Russ Harris has one called The Reality Slap. And he um, is amazing because not only does he write about this and he is considered an expert in this field, but he's also the parent of a child on the autism spectrum. So yeah. he understands that aspect of it as well, Yeah, which is just amazing. And um, if you want to actually get a therapist um, who specializes in ACT, you can go online to um, contextualbehaviorscience.org, I believe it is. Um, but basically what you're looking for is... Um, the Association for Contextual Behavior Science. Okay. Okay, so even if you just Google that, you'll go in there and you'll be able to look up for an ACT therapist in your area. Um, because I think some other therapies try to make you um, actually change your thoughts. Uh-huh. Um, and this says just accept them. It's okay. Everyone has them. Um, and just because you're having them doesn't even mean they're reality anyways, because we all beat ourselves up every day and say, like, you know, I'm a bad person or I'm not this good enough or whatever. But the truth is, is that yeah. how do we know if that's even true if we're doing a bunch of other things? So, And I think there are some aspects of that that went right along with the, in cognitive behavioral therapy. What I was taught was that when the feelings come, to acknowledge them and to say, has this happened before? Yes. Did anything bad happen as a result of it? Even though, you know, sometimes I would feel like I was going to die, like I was having a heart attack or something yeah. like that, that I could say, have I felt this way before? Did I have a heart attack then? Did I die then? Is there a possibility that, you know, this could kill me? To put it all, to get it all out there instead of trying to push it down, as you were saying, and then giving me specific things that I could be talking to myself about that sort of changed the formula. Didn't yeah. make the thoughts change, but changed the way I looked at the thoughts. Yeah. Well, I actually um, will admit that I have had uh, panic attacks, and mine's all centered around driving. Mm. And it has to do with, um, I had this weird vision thing occur once when I was in a car, mm. and um, I don't know what it was. I went and saw the ophthalmologist and stuff, but I was so afraid it would happen again in the car that I would get into an accident and I was going to mm. hurt everybody that was in the car. So I just started always being like afraid that it might happen and then next thing you know I had my first panic attack. So then what happens is is that once you have one, then your fear doesn't even have to be about what your original issue is. It's about being fearful of having a panic attack oh, yeah. and not wanting to have a panic right. attack. They are not so fun. you can't go in public and you know what right. I mean? Oh, because yes, what if I do. you have one then everyone will see you. <laughs> I'm very familiar so, with this territory. Exactly. Yes. But the truth, like you said, is um, just doing it anyways. And if you have that panic attack in public or whatever, like you said, you're not actually going to die. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone's ever died of one before. Right. And um, you're still going to you're going to get through it and just let yourself do it. And you have to just do that. Yeah. And it'll get easier. And acknowledge those thoughts that you're having as more like. Uh, thank you thought I appreciate what you're telling me yeah. but I'm gonna keep moving forward now you know what yeah. I mean it's a difference between buying in and believing your thoughts versus yeah. just treating them like something else that's out there yeah it's uh, I it is a process and I and it's a difficult process and I think both of us can appreciate and thank you for sharing your story too so that you see that it's very common um, and I think that hopefully that gives you some relief too that yeah. you don't feel like you are out now to space and someone who this is just you and only you but there's a great deal of help and hope for these kinds of things but you do need to get 
yourself some help, I think. Yeah. Um, and some professional help. And even if you start with getting Russ Harris's book, I think that'd be a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had a workbook that I worked from that was called the Anxiety and Panic Workbook. And, and so I would do exercises and then get together with my cognitive behavioral therapist and we would do things from the book. Really helpful. So uh, hopefully that helps you to get back onto the track of you being okay. Yeah, the nice thing about it too is it actually changes kind of the way you view the world. Yeah. And so it becomes something that has long-term effects because there's a lot of things where you can do them and you have initial effects where you feel better and everything, but then everything gets worse again and comes back and you say like, it, it worked, but it only worked for a little while. But this is different because it literally changes kind of how you view everything and how you interpret everything Yeah. from here going forward. It's kind of like when you learn to ride a bike, you don't forget how. It's yeah. the same thing. And so the effects, um, there's research on it showing that doing um, follow-ups with people, um, you know, three years later, and they're doing even better than they were in immediately yeah. after they finished the therapy. Yeah. They just keep, it's like the effects just build on each other and you get even stronger. And I feel like... Um, act has definitely changed my life and like everything it's just the way I even view any sort of um, challenge that's ever presented to me ever wonderful so wonderful well thank you for all of that unfortunately we're out of time uh, and we need to go to the A word but thank you so much we You're aren't going to see you next week because we're not doing a show next week and we won't see you the week after because you're away so we're going to see you again in March okay and we're looking forward to that okay uh, but we hope you have a wonderful time away from us and if we have any questions in the meantime for Dr. Adele I will forward them to her and we'll see um, if we can't she's going to be away and, and got a couple of projects big projects that she's working on, but we'll see if she's got any time if you have a burning question. In any case, we need to go to the A word. This is the ongoing documentary being made about a little boy, Jack Riley, diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And we've gone back to the beginning of the series. So we're about three weeks into therapy with Jack Riley at this point in the series, seeing that a lot has changed in his world. And some of it is amazing and we're seeing some growth, but we're also seeing how hard it is for the parents and how hard it is for Jack Riley to get used to this new schedule and having all of these strangers come into the home and be a part of what's happening in the home. It, it's going to work itself out in the series and you'll see that it's already worthwhile, but it's not easy. So take a look. This is the A word. Don't forget when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined in the second hour by Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. So stick with us. I just wanted to ask you how you're adjusting with all this, all these people coming in and out of the home. You know, half of me is used to it. Half of me is no longer freaking out about how clean my house is, clearly. Uh, the, other, <laughs> the other half of me is still really overwhelmed. And, you know, if there's talk of one more thing that we add to our list for that week sort of freaks me out, at least initially. Well, it's easier now. It was very strange the first week. Uh, he's making progress. It's sort of relentless. You, uh, when you think you have a moment to relax, you, uh, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> 9.30, so-and-so is showing up, but um, um, it's just an adjustment. It's not overwhelming necessarily. There are times where um, you just need an hour and it's not coming, but um, we developed a fondness for all of you guys, so that makes it easier. And he's making progress, so who really cares how inconvenient it is? What color? You're funny. You're like Spider-Man. You're funny. You were such a climber. <laughs> hey! She's not 
a jungle gym. Yes, you're funny. Hey. You're funny. You're funny. Go. Hey, you wanted to go color. Yeah, go color. You want green or orange? Uh, Which one's orange? Green or orange? Uh, orange, yeah. Good job. Yes, I see changes in him every day. Uh, today we went to OT and just watching him climb up a rope. And he got to the top and he was on a ledge. And she had to show him how to turn over on his belly to climb back down. And he did it again and he got to the top and he remembered. He knew to turn on his belly and do it. So just watching how he's soaking up stuff and, and being able to adapt it. it so quickly is, is pretty Good impressive. Job. Now, if only that would work with, with the eating. That's probably still our biggest yeah. challenge is eating. Yeah, eating is a, it's a task. Therapist came out for my knees deep, and it probably took him, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes to really take his first bite. But um, what he'll eat and how he'll eat and when he'll eat are very challenging. So I think the goal is to develop the relationships with the girls first and to be more compliant on behaviors that don't involve food or eating. Um, he, he gets really worked up when new foods are introduced to him. It's a good 10, 12 minutes before he'll even consider eating anything else. So we have to get past that and probably introduce it to him a lot and let him play with it more and just get that, that fear and anxiety out of him. But it's going to be a slow process, I think. He's learning something really interesting. And I was surprised, I was talking to Suzanne, because he's so into textures and how things feel. And I was surprised that he's even more into puppets. We had peaches in front of him today with applesauce and tried to make, make it fun to run the trains through. And he was not happy about the whole thing. Can we squish it? Are you all done with the Play-Doh? Yeah, let's go. All done. Up. Clean up. <laughs> How has it been like just adjusting to there's days when he's having therapy and he's having difficulty and he's crying and, and uh, those are those are hard uh, uh, on us because I think we're both overly sensitive anyway and he's your son. Those days haven't been that many where he's like emotionally drained or anything. I think he's made the adjustment maybe better than we have. Thursday I remember sitting in my office and hearing him cry pretty hard and I had to call a girlfriend. Mike was gone, so I had to call a girlfriend and I was pretty close to tears. And she talked me off the ledge, <laughs> which was a good thing. But since then, it's been easier to hear him. I, I haven't heard it as bad or it hasn't felt as bad. But I know it's good for him. And I know that uh, um, he's being asked to do things that uh, he's not used to being asked to do. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. This one. What color? Green. Green. Yeah. Last night, there were bubbles on a page, and not only did he say bubble and pointed at all the bubbles, but then he decided to pop the bubbles and started saying pop. Um, and so he's using the words right, you know? And, and that book, I think we went through every page, and he found something on every page that he knew the word for. Nothing is, uh, is easy for him anymore, even with us, I think. If he wants to do anything or if he wants to try anything, he has to ask us for it or say the color or do something. So I think we learned that from ABA.
Pocoyo or Baby Babble? Babble. Good choice. Baby Babble. Baby Babble. That's good talking. Bubble. Bubble? If he's watching a video with you, if he turns and uh, make sure you get, did you hear that? Did you hear that? So he's fully engaging you to make sure you're paying attention. And, uh, that's great. Cause I, like when he, I like when he looks at my eyes. <laughs> Welcome back to Autism Live. So thrilled that we have here in the studio with us Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Tarbox is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. He is also the director of the Autism Research Group. So he is, a, I would say he has a brilliant brain, a beautiful brain, uh, the one that we want to pick for information, uh, and we look forward to doing that every week. You guys have written in some questions, but I wanted to start today and talk a little bit about our topic this whole week has been love. Okay. Love in all of the different forms of, you know, what do we love, who do we love. Uh, for us, uh, if you're a parent like myself, you know, uh, but also for our kids on the spectrum and for our teenagers and our adults on the spectrum, we're really looking at love and all the different romantic love, but love for things, uh, the difference between sure. love and obsession, all of these different things. So we just had talked a little bit with uh, Dr. Nadowski about how do we get kids interested in more things. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk with you specifically about the teen years. Okay. And, you know, so many of us, we're working on this documentary called Facing Fatherhood, and there's a beautiful moment in it. I shouldn't give it away, but there's a moment where one of the dads says, you know, I care about my child getting a job. I care about him being able to communicate, but when you get right down to it, I want him to be able to date. Mm -hmm. And I think we all want that for our children when they get to a certain age to be able to feel love and to have it requited. So I'd like to talk a little today about the kinds of things that we can do in the teen years to get our kids ready for that level of socialization. Okay. I know it's a little daunting, but you know anything that we can be doing to get them so that they pay attention to social cues, so sure. that they you know, start to be able to, to see, because the rules change minute by minute in that kind of an interaction. Absolutely. I think it's hard for second anybody. Second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So help us out, Dr. Tarbox. All right, well, first of all, this, I'm speaking way outside my area of expertise, <laughs> but it's a fun topic and it's uh, certainly uh, an appropriate talk, okay. topic on Valentine's week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, probably the, the major challenge, like you said, is it's just such a complex interaction, yeah. right? And, and um, even under the very best possible circumstances, if you have the best possible social skills or dating skills or romantic skills, whatever you want to call them, um, even under those circumstances, the likelihood that the particular individual that you're interacting with at any given moment, that you meet at the park or at the bar if you're an adult or at the in your classroom or yoga class, wherever you are, uh, the likelihood that that particular person is going to be a good match with you is extremely low, yeah. right? Um, and so even if they are a good match, the likelihood that you're going to do all of the behaviors needed to happen in the, at the right time and in the right moment to click with that person and they're going to do all the same things for you is just, I mean, it's almost like a hopeless, you know, scenario, you'd think, right? It's and amazing yet, to think that the race continues it because is. it's so difficult. And yet yeah. there's, you know, millions of babies born per year or whatever. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the stat so is. So people but, are working it out, right? <laughs> so but it works one but way how yeah. is the question. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the first thing to consider is I would say um, the vast majority or maybe 
all, typically developing adults, um, are bad at this and are afraid of this yeah. and don't know what to do really, right? Even yeah. the most socially successful of us are nervous on a first date and don't really know what to say, right? Um, so I would say, you know, it's a, a very, very challenging thing to, to, to even address. And I, I don't think, I mean, to me, like successful dating is not, you know, I don't put that on the same pedestal as, let's say, like, asking for something when you need it, right? Mm -hmm. Like independent manding or requesting, which is, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm hungry, when I'm cold, when I need to go to the bathroom, when I want attention, I'm able to request that in some way, whether it's vocal speech, sign language, handing over a picture card, whatever. We know we can get kids to do that. We yeah. know we can teach children and adults on the spectrum to do that. And it's absolutely critical and we're not gonna settle for not getting that. It's gonna right. happen, right? Um, successful dating skills, I think we'd be lucky to say we're gonna get typically developing people to be good at that. <laughs> Very lucky, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure really about that. Okay. I, mean, I think it's gonna be a challenge. It, well, it for sure is a challenge. But I'm wondering if there are specific things, like as, as I was looking through the skills curriculum and thinking, wow, all of these different lessons in the social language would be helpful. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's not going to necessarily get it done because, like you said, you're working odds and whether the people are going to connect. But right. at least those skills would be helpful. So where to start, maybe, right? Okay. Yeah. So definitely uh, perspective taking is a major, yeah. major area. So the yeah. whole cognition curriculum at CAR deals with um, the the skills involved in understanding your own mental states or private events in mm -hmm. behavioral jargon, your own mental states, and then being able to infer and identify other people's mental states, and then adjust your own social behavior accordingly. So the ability to understand what someone else is thinking, what someone else wants, what someone else intends, uh, the ability to understand when someone else feels happy versus sad versus yeah. uncomfortable versus awkward, right? Yeah. Um, all of those things are absolutely critical, um, it, even to just regular social interactions, let alone romantic or potentially romantic social interactions. Mm -hmm. So I'd definitely start there. And I think, you know, you always talk about practice. Right. Uh, I was struck by two things uh, recently. Uh, during the holidays, uh, one of our interns, she is a member of a sorority that is really, uh, they've chosen the autism as their project. Oh, fantastic. And so they had this big event and invited kids from the area to come. And there are, I, I think, like a hundred of the sisters in this big sorority. Wow. And there were mostly boys, uh, and they were mostly under the age of 12. And the girls were beautiful beautiful college-age girls, right? And they were sitting with each one of the boys and they were working on a craft project and then they danced, they all got up and danced together. And my son was there and he probably had five girls at a time uh, <laughs> paying attention to him. And I said at one point, you know, this will be what he needs when he's 16. Right. Like, can we come back <laughs> and do this again <laughs> when he's 16? Because this right. is exactly what he's gonna need is those college-age girls to say, and this is how you're gonna dance right. with the girl at the dance right. this is uh, you know so I'm, I'm making sure that the sorority, sorority will be doing that kind of thing by the time he's 16 and then of course we were watching Spongebob this week and they had a whole episode about the fact that uh, Mr. Krabs mm -hmm. uh, was gonna go on a date with the driving school teacher and that he he wasn't ready to do it so Spongebob dressed up as a girl to go through all of the different
different things, <laughs> they go. went on a practice date. Right. So I'm wondering whether we should arrange for those kinds of things for yes. our kids, practice dates. Yes. And the fact of the matter is we should be doing that with typically developing teens well, too, we really right? Should. I mean, really, if you want to get good at something, you need to practice it and you need honest feedback, you know, yeah. and you need to practice it enough to where you can actually learn from that honest feedback and yeah. incorporate it. And to get good at something or to be fluent in something or to look comfortable in something, yeah. you have to be good at it and do it a lot and be able to do it quickly. And so social skills, you know, eye contact, talking, laughing, giggling, making yeah. compliments, holding hands, all of that social dance, all of those things need to kind of happen quickly and fluently. Yeah. You, you know, the kid can't be sitting there for five minutes and then say, okay, now I should probably make <laughs> eye contact or now right. maybe I should hold her hand or something, right? Um, it needs, so yeah, the only thing that gets those behaviors to happen more quickly and more comfortably is repeated practice okay. with positive reinforcement and honest feedback and, and correction when things go right. I love that. Uh, you know, with, uh, there's a big, thing happening right now with dads and you're a dad of a little girl um but there are a lot of dads i don't know whether it's a club that they belong to that when they're girls or teenagers the dads take them to dinner and take the girls on a date hmm. and the whole purpose of it is for the dad to show the girl this is how a man should treat you so that when they are teenagers, by the time they're teenagers, that if a guy is being mean to them, that it seems like a foreign thing to them. Right. Because they have it in their head. No, my dad already showed me this is how a man who cares for me should right. treat me. Right. Uh, I think More it's a training. lovely idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, it makes More sense. training. And that's for neurotypical girls. So uh, really remarkable. Uh, it's overwhelming, and I don't think we could ever be done. <laughs> but right. we, we can start to work and set our kids up for success. And, I, you know, actually, I've got a geeky little... Uh, behavior analysis analogy uh, okay. that might be appropriate. Um, you know, in, in when studying basic uh, processes of positive reinforcement, uh -huh. way back when with rats and pigeons, uh -huh. uh, one of the things that, uh, that they studied were, were called variable uh, schedules, where you don't get reinforcement every time you press the lever. You get it sometimes, and yeah. there's no way to predict when it's going to happen. Yeah. But it is going to happen, okay? So, for example, a rat might press a lever, and on average, every 30 presses, he'll get a food pellet. Right. And, and he's hungry, so it's worth it, right? Um, but it's not every 30. Sometimes it's every 20. Sometimes it's every 60, sometimes okay. it's after 5, sometimes it's after 30, right? Um, and so there's no way to predict whether or not you're going to get it. Now, if you put a human in that same circumstance, the human says, I don't know what to do, it's never going to work, I give up, right? Right. But think about how, like, would that be a good idea for the rat to be saying that? No right. way. What does the rat have to do? Give it a shot. Yeah. Practice, right? right. And, and really, couple relationships and dating is the same way. You are going to meet failure many times yeah. before you meet success, even if you're the best possible, you know, even if you have the most advanced skills. And so I think we need to teach that, that it is about multiple, you know, we talk about it as practice, but it's not just practice, it's just doing it a lot, just okay. getting out there and um, pressing the lever. Pressing the lever. All right, our watchword for the week. We're gonna take a short break and we're gonna come back and have Dr. Tarbox answer some of your questions, so stick with us. Hello, activists. Let's talk about step nine. Trust your intuition. Nobody knows your child better than you do. No one. If I had trusted my gut, my intuition, I would have had my son diagnosed two years earlier, and he would have started receiving important early intervention two years earlier as well. Somehow I let others, people that I thought were experts, convince me to wait and see as the best course of action. It wasn't. If you feel like something's amiss with your child, 
chances are you are right. How can someone like a doctor or a teacher or someone who has spent limited time with them know what's best for them? You've spent a lifetime with them. You are their best advocate. Trust your gut. It will never steer you wrong. Until next time, keep the faith. Welcome back. We are here right now with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And at this portion of the day, he answers your questions. So we had a question that came in in the night. They want to know, my question is, how can I teach my older daughter who is 14 to be more patient and understanding with our two children with autism? She is such a smart and remarkable young lady, but I can't sometimes make her understand them. She's very patient with other children, just not with her brothers. That's kind of being 16 years old. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that in. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the parent goes on to say, I get bothered by it sometimes and threaten her that I'm going to make her volunteer in a place with children on the spectrum so she can understand what they go through. However, I also understand that in many ways it's not fair for her either what she has to put up with their behaviors. What should I do and, and how? And thank you so much. And, I, you know... I love this question because we have so many people write in about siblings and we talk about siblings, but not enough ever. That's true. That's and really isn't true. and isn't that, you know, just indicative of, of what's happening in real life? Right. The, sometimes these are the most amazing kids. We have so much expectation for them though. That's right. That's true. Uh, that they have more to deal with because they really they've do. got siblings on the autism spectrum. So I know you've always been a big advocate for the siblings. What would you say? to this mom and who says by the way and I love that the mom says that this young lady is smart and remarkable mm -hmm. yeah it's fantastic right so she's yeah. got she's already oriented in the right way which is it's all about positive reinforcement yes. right and as an aside more and more now in in the field as ABA becomes more well known and more popular and as the prevalence has risen over the last 20 years more and more now in the field we're getting new people coming into the ABA field who are siblings yeah. and who had younger uh, younger siblings on the spectrum and yeah. they learned all about ABA and autism because it was in their house all yeah. day every day, right? And they didn't yeah. have a choice. But now they're choosing careers to help others and yeah. making a difference. So you never know who that you know right. who that sibling might turn into. They might turn into the next great leader in autism Absolutely. treatment. Right? Absolutely. So we do want to make this a positive experience as yeah. much as possible. Um, so yeah, you know the main thing is um, is is always a, you know, and I'm always saying the same thing, but it is about positive reinforcement. It's about um, remembering that our children are not going to do what they're supposed to do because they're supposed to do it. Being supposed to do something doesn't make you do it as we, a child. We need to get that crocheted on a pillow. <laughs> it's really true, though, right? Just because you're supposed to do something doesn't mean that you're going right. to do that it. That doesn't. That's not what causes you to do it, right? Yeah. Your sources of motivation are the most important thing. And by the way, that happens to be true with you and I too, hey, and everybody absolutely. else, right? right. So. <laughs> So you got to maybe ask yourself, like, what's going on? What what are the sources of motivation for being kind of grouchy and impatient? What are the sources of motivation for not, for being patient and for being present? And just take an honest, hard look at yourself and your family sort of dynamic and readjust it in a way that is a little bit more favorable, that supports or sets her up for success for being more patient. So um, definitely things like um, setting aside time that is absolutely just for your older, uh, for your older uh, child, for the daughter, for the sibling, mm -hmm. where there's no 
autism going on, there's no ABA, there's no nothing else, it's just your special time with me. Um, and even if it's only once a week for half an hour, even that will be appreciated, right? Yeah. And where there's no qualifications on it. It's not, yeah, we'll get to what you want when we have time, when Jimmy's you know, not having a tantrum or something. It's no, this is your time and it's not going to be interrupted by anybody else's needs yeah. and we're going to have that experience together. That's easier said than done, obviously, yeah. but it's critical. Um, and then, you know, uh, just making the whole thing, uh, like nagging, right? We always talk about nagging on this show because we all do it as parents and it's one I'm of the... I'm very good at it. Right, I am I have too, perfected it, that practice thing, doing things over and over. I'm very good at the <laughs> nagging. I pretty much have it down. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm pretty good at it, too. Um, but really, um, take another look at, at your own interactions with your kids. And this isn't specific to your viewer, but to all of us as parents. Take a look at your own interaction with your kids and, and try to just observe how often, when I want my child to do something, in this case, be patient with siblings, how often am I encouraging that through reminders, positively worded, happy reminders in a calm and patient voice beforehand, yeah. versus how often am I nagging as a consequence, right? Mm -hmm. So the older sibling maybe appears impatient or, or acts kind of bratty about the situation. How often am I responding to that by, by nagging her? Like, you know you're supposed to help out more. Why can't you be right. more patient with your sibling, right? right. Um, when really, we always say this on the show, by the time the bad behavior is happening, it's too late, right? Yeah. So it's, it's all about setting the kids up for success by making it more positive, making it less stressful, less hurried, less rushed um, from the beginning to try to get those good behaviors. In this case, maybe spending time and being patient type behaviors, get those behaviors to happen and then praise them and reward them with whatever reward your 14-year-old um, uh, daughter would appreciate, whether it's praise, special time alone, you know, maybe, you know, time when the bathroom's only hers, you know, to get ready, whatever it yeah. is the kids like, they've got to get something that they really genuinely care about, and that has to be separate from nagging and yeah. making things stressful. I, you know, I remember what it was like to be a teenager, even though it was a really long time ago in the dark ages, and, and how everything felt so much. You know what right. I mean? Everything was yeah. so intense. Like colors were brighter and you felt everything for the first time and it just seemed like, and everything was so immediate. Right. Um, and, and so I can't imagine what that would be like going through feeling like that while you were expected to have to be extra patient and extra caring because there were people who had other needs who were smaller than you. Yeah, and yeah, it's a really good point. And teenagers are all about fairness, right? Yeah. They don't, and siblings in general are all about fairness. They don't. It's not fair for my sibling right. to get more than me in whatever it is, whether it's attention, more time in the bathroom, more help with homework, whatever it is. And it is inherently unfair. When yeah. you have a child with autism that's getting lots of services, it's inherently unfair. And yeah. so anything that you can do to try to tip the balance back in the other yeah. direction is important. And again, it comes back to what can I do to actually support my child in um, tolerating this situation, not not focusing on she should tolerate it anyways because X, Y, yeah. and Z, right? Yeah, and and remarkable. There, we've had not enough siblings on the show. Um, I, I when I was doing a radio show, I interviewed Nick Yates' sister, who's an incredible human being, um, and 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 I really was struck by some of the things that she said. She said, you know, I went through a long time of being really resentful, but. Um, what a great sibling, what a supportive sibling, and now somebody who is working as an ABA right. therapist. Yeah. Um, you know, she was who I was thinking about when you were talking. And, uh, and I think, and she says, this made me more patient, but 
she said you wouldn't have known it from the time that I was 14 to 17. So, you know, uh, maybe maybe the expectation of how much she's going to show it with those two uh, needs to be in a different place because if she can show it for other children, that's great. That's that's a really brilliant 14 that's year fantastic. old. And but when it's your own two brothers, that might be kind of a, the toughest case scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might be a little might might have to lower the expectation a little bit on that. But I go back to I, I love when you guys say about catch them doing something good. That's exactly what I was going to say. And you know and finding the ways to praise her for anything and ever that she does. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, let's let's just pause here. That's really worth repeating. It, it, no matter how frustrated she might be with her with her younger siblings, there's got to be one moment, even if it's two seconds, where she's not being negative, right? right? Just catch her before she has the opportunity to even start being negative <laughs> and stop whatever you're doing, freeze, and pay attention to her yeah. and value that in a way that she would like. So maybe she would like a hug, maybe not. Maybe she's past that stage. Right. And, oh, don't touch me, mom, whatever, right? right? right. But figure out some way that she would genuinely feel, feel valued and do that right then immediately. Put everything else on hold. So if it's something like getting ready for school in the morning, if that's when she's usually the grouchiest, right? Well, then you better get up 30 minutes earlier because you're going to take 10 minutes that morning to stop, freeze everything, right. and value her in some way, right? Okay. When she's being not grouchy, you know, before she starts to be grouchy. Um, or whether it's during dinner, whatever, but you're going to have to plan ahead and, and yeah. come up with some kind of strategy, right? And yeah, it's a little bit contrived at first, but who cares, right? The point is... It's life-changing. It's life-changing. <laughs> and she needs to see that you genuinely value her being patient in that yeah. moment. And, and I will say, too, that not, not only does it change her... But it will also change you. Absolutely. When you, even when we're faking it, when we compliment somebody and we're faking it, it changes how we view things and how we look at them, and we and we do get warm fuzzies for them. It's really even true. even when deep down we're like, Ugh. I shouldn't have <laughs> to do this <laughs> right. or whatever, right? I shouldn't right. have to compliment you for being nice to your brothers, right. but you know, you say, hey, that was really nice that you just said that, and it and it's almost like you know, little little locks open up inside you, and you go, oh, you know, everything isn't horrible, right? Uh, and it can have a cascading effect, you yes. know, like that, people. Always talk about like when you're on a diet. If you eat something unhealthy for breakfast, you're more likely to eat unhealthy things the rest yeah. of the day. Well, it's the same thing with positive versus negative interactions between humans. If you start out the day with doing something positive with your spouse or with your kid, yeah. it's gonna affect the way that you interact with them for the rest of the day, and it is more. It will make it more likely that you're gonna have an awesome day. Well, and what a great thing for us to be thinking about and talking about during Valentine's Day week, when when we really care about the people in our lives feeling appreciated and feeling loved and uh, and feeling like they're part of a whole. Isn't that part of what right. Valentine's Day is all about? And so we could all today set ourselves the goal of someone in your life, could be whoever you want to pick, catch them doing something good and give and them a make compliment. make them feel genuinely appreciated. Yeah. And you will feel better. Yeah, absolutely. You, I, I tell you, it's an endorphin rush. So do it and see how it changes the rest of the day for you and see what happens as a result. We'd love to hear back from you what happened in this experiment. We're going to take another short break and we're going to be back more with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox after these messages. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. 
IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at iBehavioralTraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We call this Science Beat because sometimes we ask you for research. And you're a good person to tell us research because you that's are the job. That's your job. You are the director of the Autism Research Group, in fact. And we haven't today given out that website. So would you tell the sure. folks at home what how to get a hold of Autism Research Group? Right. So to learn more about Autism Research Group or just to uh, access our resources that we have on our webpage uh, on autism in general, go to uh, www.autismresearchgroup. .org. Wonderful. And while you're there, they have surveys on that uh, the site, and, and take a second to do one of the surveys. You only do research that has some sort of meaning in real life for families. I know right. you guys have seen research studies, and you go, well, that's lovely, but what has that got to do with me and trying to get my kids' shoes on and out the door and get to school, right? Um, and Autism Research Group really hears that kind of thinking and they want to do things that are meaningful to you. So they ask questions frequently of parents and providers and individuals who are on the spectrum. So take the time to do the survey. Uh, I always say, I used to always say, well, nobody asked me when they do research and, and they spend so much money <laughs> on all these things. And, and I would kind of grouse about it and people would go, well, why did I? And I would say, nobody asked me. But you, none of us can say that anymore because Autism Research Group is asking us. So take the time to tell them what yes. kinds of things you would like to improve or what you'd like to see research on. Um, really worth the time to do that. So having said all that, we have a question that one of you wrote in for Dr. Tarbox. What are some basic questions to ask the BCBA during monthly meetings? I feel like there are questions to be asked that I'm not asking. And, and we've been talking about how useful we can be at those uh, clinics. I know CARD calls them. Mm -hmm. And usually at CARD, they're bi-monthly, mm -hmm. every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Some organizations do it monthly. Mm -hmm. um, but it really really is an opportunity that that we should use to find out more about what's happening, educate ourselves, and 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 be a part of the team, right? Absolutely, right. So what can we ask to help us to do that? Right, so you know, like a good analogy would be you're going to see the doctor every, every two weeks or, mm -hmm. or once a month, and anything that you want to know about your health, that's a good opportunity to ask, right? But yeah. instead of your health, we're talking about your child's treatment program. Um, and that is the job of the BCBA to talk to you about that uh, yeah. at, the, at these regular meetings. Uh, the number one thing I always recommend to parents is to um, ask how you can help out uh, over the course of the next two weeks or the next four weeks, or however long, until the next meeting. Say, what can I do to further push my child's program forward? And usually the most important thing is working on generalization and maintenance. So then you ask your BCBA, what has my child learned in the last two weeks or four weeks? Um, give me a list literally and I'm going to keep it in my pocket and a uh, list of things my child has learned that I can help sort of work on generalization so if my child has learned the word apple last week mm -hmm. great now every single time I see an apple for the next four weeks I'm going to point out and say hey what's that right and reinforce when my child says apple or I'll ask my child oh hey will you hand me an apple uh, you know when I see one and he hands it to me when we're playing with toy fruit whatever it is 
ask your BCBA for specific instructions on how to work on generalization of the skills learned. And that's probably the number one thing you can do to make your child's treatment program progress more and to make your child's, uh, the skills that your child learn actually make them useful and real skills rather than just some practiced or memorized behaviors. The, uh, generalization is what makes skills real useful everyday life skills. Wonderful. And, and we should take just a second for people who don't watch all the time, if they're wondering about generalization, can you explain to us what you mean when you're talking about that and why sure. it's so important? Sure. Yeah. Generalization is really critical. And what it means is, uh, sort of the lay definition is once you learn a concept, it's the ability to apply that concept where, whenever and wherever you need to apply it in your daily life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's something that happens so automatically in the typically developing population that we don't even really realize that it matters. So for example, if you learn how to add numbers um, in a classroom at your desk. Now when you go to the grocery store, can you add numbers? Sure, right? Like you when you're a kid, pretty yeah. much, right? More right. or less. Well, um, you know, or if you learn your, your ABCs, you know, with your tutor or your mom or whatever, do you still know your ABCs when you're talking to a different person in a different place? Sure, obviously, right? Well, with autism spectrum disorders, and especially early on with younger kids, that doesn't happen automatically, right? And that, that learning something in one environment and being able to do it in another is generalization. And it does not happen automatically in a lot of folks uh, with autism spectrum disorders. And so you need to program for it on purpose. In other words, you need to take, um, take steps to ensure that your child is able to apply what they learned across all aspects of his or her life. And the key way to do that is practicing, imagine that, practicing what he or she learned across all aspects of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so if your child learns a piece of language during their tutoring or ABA therapy sessions, they need to practice the use of that same exact word when those therapists are not present. They need to practice with you, they need to practice with dad, grandma, grandpa, babysitter, nanny, teacher, peers at the park, at the mall, in your living room, right? In your front yard, backyard. That's the way that you ensure that your child can actually use the concepts that they learn across their everyday life. And that's how we set them up for success. Absolutely. And honestly, with that, without that, I mean, this is a one red flag of a bad quality ABA program, not just ABA, but any bad quality autism treatment program is uh, a lack of generalization. And so what you'll find is the therapist will tell you, oh, yeah, he learned, you know, he mastered mastered 100 different skills you know, in the last month, and then you go and see, can the kid actually do it? And he can't do it with you. Right. He can only do it with the particular therapist that taught him and only when they're sitting at the table. Right. Which, in other words, means he didn't learn anything at all. Right. Right. Really important that we make sure that our kids can do these skills in all different kinds of settings with all kinds of people. Right. In Otherwise, they won't be able to actually use the skills when they need to in their life. What's okay. the point? We're wasting the kids' time. Really remarkable. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back more with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox after these messages. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism, and now you get to ask her questions every Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome back to Autism Live and to this segment that we call Science Beat with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. We are here with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and he is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Now, a little bit of a programming note. I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show that we're not going to be here doing live shows next week because every once in a while we have to give Emily Goodwin a break. Uh, we, we hate to do it because she is so talented and we rely on her so heavily, but we do have to give her a break and we're giving her a break next week. 
And so everyone should wish Emily a wonderful vacation. She's going to have a fabulous time with her family. And then the week after, we do not have Dr. Tarbox or Dr. Adele Nadowski because you have some other fish to fry. You have places you have to go and things that you have to do. And we have a book. Well, that, that was what is, I was going to ask about next. Yes, right. You are approaching a deadline for one of the most amazing books that we are all waiting for. Well, I tell, hope so. <laughs> tell our viewers what the book is. Okay, right. So for 14 months, we've been working on writing a treatment manual for how to treat autism um, using evidence-based, scientifically proven procedures and, you, and combining those procedures according to how we view the world at CARD, basically. So it's the CARD model of evidence-based treatment for children with autism. Amazing. It's very exciting. It's been, it's it's been a big project. It's comprehensive. It basically goes over all major procedures contained in evidence-based ABA therapy, um, parent training, um, you know, um, how, you know, supervision, how to teach skills from all different curriculum areas. Um, it's very comprehensive, and the entire thing is due to the publisher in two weeks. So we're very busy for the next two weeks. <laughs> so we're giving him a little bit of a vacation as well to work on that, and Dr. Nadowski is working on that as well. That's correct. Uh, and so that's why neither one of them will be here to two weeks from today to be with us. But then we will see you back in March and you will look like a different person then That's because right. you will have helped to birth this massive thing. <laughs> uh, we, we need to have a baby shower for you for, because it is like birthing something. It is. How many pages is this? 750 pages. Yeah, that's a yeah. big book. That's a big book. Uh, that's a very big book. It will, it will save some lives and also be a great doorstop. <laughs> after you've saved some lives. Uh, we love books like that. So amazing. And then when do we ex expect that it will be available for people to purchase? They said uh, it's being published by Elsevier, uh, by Academic Press, which is a subsidi subsidiary of Elsevier, which is one of the top uh, scientific publishing companies in the world. Um, and they said that it'll be published within six months of when we deliver it to them. Okay. So it'll definitely be published in 2014. All right, really remarkable. Uh, it's a huge life achievement. Very exciting. Uh, Very exciting. And you've been working. You know, talk, we talk about long-term goals and working on something long-term goal. This has been a very long-term goal for you. 14 months. That's pretty long-term, yeah. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, so we really look forward to that, and we congratulate you on a job well done. I know you're, you're you know, finishing up. You're in the last two weeks. Yep. It's got to feel, are you watching the Olympics? A little bit when I have time. Right, you much. haven't had much time. Uh, I, I watch the Olympics and as much as I can, too, and I'm days behind on my DVR, so don't, don't tell me who won anything, <laughs> right? But uh, I, I watch these people who are so passionate, and young people, so passionate and so driven, and the parents, mm -hmm. um, and how long it took for them to get there. And it's one moment. And I know it isn't just about that one moment, but it is a pinnacle moment of, you know, you may only get the one Olympics. And you gave a comparison a couple of weeks ago about how it's very similar to a ch having right. a child on the spectrum. Absolutely. And I keep thinking about that as I watch the Olympics and thinking, oh, I never really thought about it that way. And and it's great for me to language it that way because I see the parents and, and I know the sacrifices that the parents have made for each one of those kids to be there and be skiing down the mountain or doing whatever, that it was a lot of getting up when they didn't want to. It was a lot of saying, you're going to do work through this task that you right. really don't want to do and making it reinforcing for them and sacrificing other things to say, we're going to get to this moment. That's right. Uh, and, I, and I'm looking at it in an entirely different way that thank you for, for giving us. And that's on our YouTube channel. Uh, 
uh, look up Olympic, uh, Dr. Tarbox and Olympic <laughs> and you'll, you'll find the clip. Because uh, it's really been inspiring me. Because we've been working with some stuff with Jem because uh, we're tightening some bolts and things and trying to get to some more progress. Uh, and it's been a little tough. But I find myself thinking, well, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Uh, and you're not going to get a gold medal, but you're going to get the satisfaction of knowing you did absolutely everything in your power right. to help your child. Well, I'm going to give myself a gold medal. You deserve one. <laughs> I think I have to get a gold medal for my husband. Uh, we, we've really been working, and we're seeing the progress, and that is starting to be reinforcing. Right. I, I will say that the first week and a half before we saw the progress, I, you know, I really was thinking about what my hair would look like on fire as I run down the street. <laughs> Like, really? Why am I doing this again? Remind me somebody. But the progress is showing up. Uh, we, and then we cycle back through uh, moments. Yesterday, my son informed me that uh, I like to take everything that's fun and make it not fun. So clearly, <laughs> clearly, I don't have this ABA reinforcement thing figured out as, as well as I need to. Well, you know what? You're probably making the same mistake everybody makes with ABA, which Tell is me. once it starts to work, we think, great, we don't need it anymore, right? And that's what everyone, including behavior analysts, does with positive reinforcement. You use a bunch of positive reinforcement. You get a great behavior change going. Everybody's motivated. Everybody's happy. You say, oh, great. Yes, yeah, I'm sure he doesn't need it anymore. And you start fading out when really we all continue to need positive reinforcement for the rest of our lives, right? I and I, I don't I mean candy exactly and right. M&Ms, not like that, but we need to be getting some kind of real genuine satisfaction out of what we're doing for the rest of our lives if we yeah. want to perform at an excellent level. That's true. And somebody just wrote in about what you were talking about before, give them their paycheck before the bad behavior. Right. That's which exactly I right. don't ever think of it exactly that way. That I'm always trying to get him to do his work and then get his paycheck. And that sometimes it would be smarter for me to give him his paycheck beforehand. I am so ingrained in the punishment phase. Right. Right. I know I made a mistake last night and I, uh, I just was in a place where I just didn't want to hear the whining and the, you know, that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I said to him, you know, here's, I, there's something that I knew that he wanted. Uh, and I said, you can have, you know, this amount of time to play this game, but not if there's any kind of a disagreement while you're doing your homework, mm -hmm. uh, which felt like it was a carrot, but I think it was a little bit of a stick, mm -hmm. really, if yeah. I think about it now. Right, right. Um, because the way he's thinking about it is, I'm going to lose the... Blah, right. blah, blah. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then, and, then it, and, and, and then we evolved into the conversation where he said, well, you, you know, you take everything that's fun and, <laughs> and, well, and make it not fun anymore. You know, nobody's perfect. Uh, that's a great prompt for you, you know? Yes. And like, w w as parents, we need to learn and adapt every day. We're never done, right? And so it's as soon as I we always want to done, arrive. Right. I want to arrive nice. at some point. It's like, can we ever park the car and just have arrived? And yeah. I guess that just isn't reality as a no. parent. No. Well, you know what, though? One way that you can arrive is by appreciating what is awesome today. Today. You know what I mean? And that is an arrival of sorts. Like, we're here today because of what we did before, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we're done. Doesn't mean that everything's fine and perfect. But this piece of something great about my child's behavior yeah. or my child's enjoyment of life or fun or happiness or talent or whatever it is, this is great. Yeah. And it is worth it, was, it is worth coming to the present with that 
on a regular basis, daily basis if you yeah. can, most of us can't, but maybe once a week, there is something amazing that's happening for your child. It's I need you to record a daily meditation for us all <laughs> that says these things about appreciating what's happening now. <laughs> and Well then you can, we'll set it up, you record it, and then we'll, we'll all be able to use it and you can listen to it too, because it's hard. It's very Everything hard. else tries to claim now. That's right. You know, the traffic tries to claim now, dinner tries to claim now, and it's not as if you can ignore those things and go, well, I'm not going to be concerned with the traffic right now, right. even though I'm having a moment with my child in the back seat. You know, we still have to drive the car and dinner will burn and, you know, we do have to feed them and, you know, sheets have to be washed and pillows have to be washed and towels have to be washed. All those things still need to happen, but we need to appreciate the now while those things are happening. That's right. I think that probably is the secret to enjoying everything in life well, and yeah. loving your life. Right is appreciating now. Well, on, on that note, uh, we, we have taken up all of your time. We have to let you go. But I, I appreciate you so much. I hope that you find some time over the next two weeks to appreciate now while... We'll see. Because, you know, you will never be finishing your first big book ever, ever again. again. It's a really good point. Thank you for that. So, you know, there are things about this that I'm sure that five years from now you're going to look back and go, wow, that was amazing, even though it <laughs> feels a little less than amazing probably right now. Uh, later on, you'll look back and think, wow, that it's a huge accomplishment. I'm in awe. Thank you. Uh, so, and we, and it's something that we all can benefit from. So it's, it has a much higher purpose too. So truly, truly amazing. So I hope you find some time to enjoy that. Uh, we hope that you guys find time to enjoy that. We're going to say goodbye to Dr. Tarbox. We're going to take a short break and come back to finish out the week. So stick with us. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The skills assessment and curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions. Or simply type in a keyword, find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step 3. Choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, 
visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The skills language curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here. Welcome back. We are here at the end of a week where we've been focusing on love. I wanted to give you a quick feel-good story here at the end of the day. Uh, there is a mom in Michigan, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, who asked her 11-year-old son if he would, he's getting ready for his 11th birthday, if he would like a birthday party. And his answer just broke her heart. He said to her that he doesn't want a birthday party because he has no friends. And he is a child who has been diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. And um, the mom, just her heart was broken about that. And she wanted to make sure that he felt like people cared about him for his 11th birthday. So she started a Facebook page. And she had an expectation that maybe she could get 50 people to send him birthday messages on the Facebook page. And it has exploded and gone viral. And so he, within the first week he had 50,000 likes on the page and people are now sending him birthday cards I know there's another uh, child that we are also featuring on our Facebook that uh, around the same age that the mom is asking for birthday cards this is a different child so uh, in any case if you're interested the boy's name is Colin and you can write to him at PO box 756 Richland Michigan and the zip code you ready for this is 490 083-0756. I'll say that whole thing again. P.O. Box 756, Richland, Michigan. 49083-056. Or you can go on their Facebook page. Um, which I believe is called Happy Birthday Colin, C-O-L-I-N. All right, so check that out. And they are up to 232,170 likes on their Facebook. You can be a part of that and help this young man to understand that people care about him. In any case, as I mentioned before, we are off next week so that Emily Goodwin can have a vacation. We wish her well for that vacation and look forward to her coming back feeling rested and... <laughs> And having had some fun because as Dr. Tarbuck said we have to have some fun right uh, I hope that you guys have some fun I will be here next week so if you need to get a hold of me you can still use our email you can Facebook me I will still be here and be answering questions we'll be back the week after we've got a really exciting finish to our feel-good February some big big stories that I know that you're gonna be interested in and we will have our usual guests with us as well to help us round out that week I hope that you have a amazing Valentine's Day and that you feel loved and appreciated uh, because we, we can all do this together, right? Si se puede. And I will see you a uh, week from now. And until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and give yourself one too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>